0: Good morning. Well, we're turning in our Bibles now to Psalm 130. And we are part of a series in the Psalms lasting about two years. We're ending uh, probably right around Labor Day weekend. And while you're turning there, we know that there is what we might call um, a sub-study from Psalm 120 through Psalm 134. They're known as the Songs of Ascent. And these songs of ascent have to do with people who are on a journey, like you and I are. We're on a journey, and it's an uphill climb. Well, the Israelites, as they would make their way to Jerusalem, would sing these psalms. Psalms 120 through Psalm 134. And so, as we look very carefully, we see here's the halfway point of it all, Been there, done that. Yahweh, uppercase, L-O-R-D, mentioned 24 times in this section. Yahweh, mentioned 24 times in the second half. And so through it all, on this journey, this morning, 4th of July weekend, you are here. In this upward climb of life we find ourselves in. Not easy hard, difficult, and now as the Israelites have made their way in this series to the point where in their journey uphill, they have entered into the gates of Jerusalem. Now they're recalling all the things that they've gone through, the issues they've faced, and yes, the sins they've committed. And so in Psalm 130, what you and I are going to find is that there are eight verses divided into four stanzas. And if you look very carefully, you're going to see the nautical imagery leap out of these verses. As I begin reading of verse 1, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord, O Lord, hear my voice, let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mock iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness. That you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in His Word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord. More than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord for with the Lord, there is steadfast love and with him is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. So these are the verses we're exploring this morning on this, on this weekend that leads us into the 4th of July celebrations. Let's see how these verses relate to modern day life now as we, as we look to our Lord in prayer. Now, our Father, what we want to do as we explore these verses together. We want to take into account the extent of life. We want to go deep into life. And no matter how intensive, no matter how extensive, Your grace supersedes it all. Though we were born into this world of sin, you send Jesus into the world to remedy the situation and die for our sins. And then to top it off three days later, you raise him from the grave. We are thankful. We are supremely thankful. And we want to worship you in spirit and in truth, whether it be through the songs that we've sung, the tithes and the offerings we offer, and the teaching of your word we apply. Intensive and extensive. It's all yours. Warm these hearts, engage these minds, shape these wills. We've come here, Father, again now to see Jesus, Him only. And we're praying these things still again now in, in Jesus' name. Amen. He had attended the Naval Academy he had come from out of town and his family had asked that he make an appointment to see me because they had some things, he had some things that he uh, needed to discuss. And so as he walked into my office many years ago, he couldn't help but as a man of the Navy to look very carefully at the nautical pictures that are found in my office hanging on walls. There was one in particular he just kept staring at, gazing at, he was fixated. And then he turned to me and he said, that's my story. I said, tell me more So I'm studying his, his facial expressions carefully. He said, so long ago I, I left the shore I know where he's going with his imagery. Launched out into the deep. He said, "Uh, Dr. Highlander, I'm I'm in over my head. I'm in the deep. I said, the thing is, is that I'm gonna go back to the shore. He continued with his imagery. But I know I need something. That's why I'm here. I'm, I'm, he stuttered a bit and he said, I'm looking for ultimate forgiveness. We sit down, I have him turn to Psalm 130. Because you see, Psalm 130 is for those who are in the deep. It's a nautical psalm, explosive imagery, when you feel as though the waves have overtaken you. He has regrets, and he has regrets. This this sailor had regrets, and now he needs release. But not only release, he needs a return. He needs to return from the depths of the sea to the shoreline of security found in God's grace and God's grace alone. And so we begin to read Psalm 130 out loud. You could see the tears rolling down his cheeks as he kept saying, that's me. This morning, if you are looking at this psalm and you say, that's me, ask where you can go with what's here. If you're watching online at this moment or in the days to come, examine this passage and ask, okay, what do I do with what I've found? I'm out in the deep. I wanna get back to the shoreline of grace. And what I desperately need is ultimate forgiveness. Where do we begin? There's four stanzas that God gives you and gives me to answer the question, where do I begin and how do I get back? And the first stanza comes out of verses one down through verse two and we're going to phrase it like this, is that when we find ourselves in need of forgiveness, because this man is seeking ultimate forgiveness, note first of all, in verses 1 and 2, the plea, the plea to be made. It begins, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord, He doesn't simply say, ah, the deaths I cry. This is a man who is highly directional. He knows where he has got to go. He knows to whom he needs to return. He needs to get back to the Lord. There is that exhale to you, O Lord, you see, Now, what I want you to notice right now is that Lord is in what I will call uppercase, L-O-R-D. As you'll note in uh, today's bulletin insert, the uppercase form Lord is from the Hebrew word Yahweh. Yahweh. Yahweh is the covenantal relational name that God has given himself. It's the word that is used when Moses is in the wilderness and he's wondering who it is that he is being confronted with at this point and how shall he go back to Egypt and who has sent him and it is the one who says tell them I am sent you and the I am is Lord Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. This week, uh, it was not coincidental. I was reading in Chosen People's latest publication online during the evening hour when I didn't have meetings where they tell us this week we have officially announced a website in Hebrew and in English for Israeli seekers called Lahomech, which means the, the deep, or depth. The verb form in Hebrew carries with the idea to go deeper, to delve into. investigate. Dr. Freeman, of Chosen People Ministries, who penned these thoughts, writes, this evangelistic site deals with topics such as anxiety, depression, relationship matters, science and faith, purpose in life, and what we're finding is that Israelis are connecting with us here, asking questions, requesting deeper in-person conversations. Our goal, our goal is to go into the deep and point them to Jesus, the Messiah. Now, what strikes me here is that it's out of the depths, we are told by the psalmist, I cry to you, O Lord, and there are going to be times in your extended circle of relationships Where God in his permissive will will allow for such a person to be in over their head. Where it seems as though the waves of life, in theory they would think, have overtaken them. But the reality is God's love has overtaken them. And God has a way of reaching in when the waves of life seem to be overwhelming. Overwhelming and allow for you and allow for me to come face to face with the one who died on the cross, was raised on the third day, focusing our attention upon Jesus and Jesus alone. God will allow for people at times to go in the deep in order to realize that God's love is deeper still. Jonah had to understand that the hard way. In the book of Jonah, we're told the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, say, go, arise to Nineveh, that great city, call out against it, for evil has come up before me. But what does Jonah do? And Jonah, we are told, rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, and that is the uppercase, which means he's trying to flee from the relational one. So he pays the price and gets on a ship and heads off to Tarshish, fleeing from the presence of the Lord. And what you and I are told is that he was cast into the waters and it was when he was cast out from that ship that in the belly of the fish we are told in chapter 2, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. There are times when people who have found themselves in the deep don't go to the Lord in desperation until they have reached that point of saying, you are deeper than the waters of my life. It was in that belly of all places, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God, saying, I called out to the Lord in my, of my distress, and lo and behold, in verse 3, you are informed, for you cast me into the deep. And now I tie that to the chosen people's wording. It was only after Jonah prayed that prayer, we are told the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out unto the dry land. There are times where God will put us in a place of desperation so that we come to the conclusion that the one who died on the cross and three days later was raised from the grave meets the need of the desperate person who cries out to him in authenticity, seeking for God to meet them at their ultimate point of need, like our sailor who is looking for ultimate forgiveness. And then there is the Newer Testament, where on one occasion, while the crowd was pressing to hear Jesus, to hear him teach the word of God. Where was he? And he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake. The fishermen had gone out of them, were washing their nets, getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's. He asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he finished, he said to Simon put out into the deep and let down your nets for catch Simon answered Master we toiled all night took nothing but at your word I'll let down the nets and when they had done this they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking these guys didn't know what to do In verse 8, when, when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. And here's the amazing thing. Jesus had never said a word about sin. But... Peter developed a sense of self-awareness while out in the deep and came to that conclusion as to who he was in relationship to the Holy One. This seizes the attention of the one who's feeling that sense of desperation in life. When you're in high school, you might have read The Old Man on the Sea turned into a memorable movie starring Spencer Tracy. Written in Cuba, near Havana. It's simply structured. Tells the story of an elderly fisherman named Santiago and his three-day fishing expedition. Your English teachers who are in various services today or watching online have very well have taught this book. No, Santiago has failed to catch, make a catch for, for four days. And his young friend, Madeline, who's no longer allowed by his parents to go with him, nonetheless, he's out for one last time and catches this great marlin. Now, some see this book as Hemingway's own lonely struggle with life itself. William Faulkner read it and said, quote, Hemingway has found God, unquote. There is a possibility of Christian symbolism at the surface here because Christianity haunts Hemingway's background. His grandparents had gone to Wheaton College. Santiago, in his ordeal, does think of sin. His wounded hands are prominent, and the book tells us he makes an expression which is, quote, is just a noise such as a man might make involuntarily, feeling the nail go through his hands and into the wood. Incredible imagery. Today is Friday, observes Santiago. And in the distance of Hemingway's stories, you sense that even in that rebellious spirit of his, God is attempting to get his attention in the depths of life. Is that what he's doing with you? Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord, uppercase. But now you're up to verse 2, and I want you to see the connection, because now you go lowercase. If uppercase is Yahweh in the Hebrew, lowercase is Adonai. And Adonai conveys the idea of the Sovereign One, the one who has authority over all, including the waters themselves. And so in verse two, O Lord, O Adonai, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of God. The voice of my, the voice of my pleas for what? The pleas for, for mercy. It could very well be that what you are doing right now with, uh, maybe it's your own life situation, or it's for those in your extended circle of relationships. And what is foremost is the cry of the heart for mercy. You remember the story. After Lee's surrender, Lincoln is speaking to a large crowd. At the end of the speech, Senator Harlan asked, Outlaw, what shall we do with these rebels? The crowd began chanting, hang them. When you're told then that Ted, his 11-year-old, turned to his father and said, no, Papa, not hang them. Hang on to them. And what God does is that he reaches into the deep. He goes where you are, even though you don't like where you are or where you've been. And he draws you out. It's the fourth watch of the night, we're told, in Matthew 14. Jesus is walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, you and I are informed, they were terrified and said it's a ghost, and they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid, which is what I want to say to you at this point. If you or your loved ones are in the deep and you love Jesus, do not be afraid. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come. So now here is Jesus commanding Peter to come, and look what comes next. Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink, and he cried out, Lord, save me. And not eventually... No, we are told in Matthew 14, Jesus immediately reached out his hand, took hold of him, saying to him, "O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God which makes me think that while Peter gets in the boat and begins to worship, dripping wet, what about all the others that are there dry? And why didn't they get out of the boat? Peter took the risk, and yeah, he went down, but Jesus reached in. For the rest of them is nothing but dry worship. But here's Jesus at this point, and he will accept the worship no matter which one it's coming from, wet or dry, there they are out in the deep, and they're with Jesus. Are you? In the depths of life? When we find ourselves in need of forgiveness, sort of verses 1 and 2, your first stanza, note with me the, the plea here to be made. O Lord, uppercase, O Lord, lowercase, hear my cry. And then the plea, the plea for mercy. You're up to the second stanza, it's out of verses 3 and 4. Note, second of all, with me, the question to be posed. And here comes the question. It's, It's directed uppercase now. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, as now these Israelites, having made their way to Jerusalem, are are reviewing their past, and they're weighed down by the guilt of prior decisions, um, actions, wrong relationship matters. If you, O Lord, should mark my iniquities, O Lord, lowercase, Oh, Adonai, question now who could stand as the imagery of that ship was tilting in the waters and people were sliding most likely to the side. Um, It could very well be that right now it's hard to take your stand. It's hard to find footing in the deep. What do you do? You need an answer to the question that you've just posed. And the answer to the question now is found in verse 4. And in verse 4, when you and I read that very carefully, what you and I are informed of at this point is that but with you there is forgiveness. And I pause as I look at this naval officer and I say, you know what? In the original language, it reads literally the forgiveness. As my new friend is grappling with where to find what he refers to as, as ultimate forgiveness. Not long before she died in '88, 1988, John Stott, gifted expositor, tells us that in a moment of surprising candor, uh, Margarita Lasky, one of the most well-known secular humanists, said, quote, "What I envy most about you Christians is your forgiveness. I have nobody to forgive me." Unquote. And deep within the recesses of the human soul is for that someone with capital S to be able to reach into the depths and say you are forgiven. Corey Ten Boom, told of not being able to forget a wrong that had been done, I'm reading from her autobiography, she had forgiven the person, but she kept rehashing the incident, couldn't sleep, and finally, Corey cried out to God for help in putting the problem to rest. His help came in the form of a a kind pastor, she wrote, to whom I confessed my failure after sleepless weeks. Up in the church tower, uh, this wise pastor said, looking out the window with her, Is a bell which is rung by pulling on a rope. And you know what, Corey? After one lets go of the rope, the bell keeps on swinging. First the ding, then the dong, slower and slower until there's a final dong and it stops. I believe the same thing is true in matters of forgiveness. When we forgive, we take our hand off the rope. But if we've been tugging at our grievances for a long time, we mustn't be surprised if the old angry thoughts keep coming up for a while and they're just the ding-dongs of the old bell slowing down. And she writes, so it proved to be. There were a few more midnight reverberations, a couple of dings when the subject came up in my conversations, but the force which was my willingness in this matter, had gone out of them. They came less and less often, and the last stopped altogether. And then she adds, we can trust God, not only in the matters of our emotions, but also in matters of thoughts, and ultimately in the matter of forgiveness. So you have looked very carefully at what you've got here. But with you, there is the forgiveness, is the way it reads in the Hebrew, that you may be feared, which is the intentionality of all this, which means then the result of this is that it produces this longing to worship God, the one who sent Christ, to die for our sins and offers us ultimate forgiveness, which is what this naval officer um, was seeking. So thus far, you've gone through two stanzas, the plea to be made in verses one and two, the question to be be posed in verses three and four, where you're posing the question as you're losing your footing Few, O Lord, should mock iniquities, O Lord, who could stand as the ship tilts in the waters. But then you right yourself because you're able to say, But with you there is the forgiveness. That you may be feared, there's our intentionality. But you and I were up to the third stanza. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word, I hope, and my soul waits for the Lord more than watchman for the morning, more than watchman for the, for the morning, he repeats himself, because thirdly, when we find ourselves in need of forgiveness, I want you to note uh, the wait to be enlisted. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, in his word, I hope, my soul waits for the Lord, and I allow for my mind to go through all those in the Old Testament who found their life experience to be one waiting room matter. There's Abraham, he and Sarah, waiting for that child of promise. There's Isaac, waiting for the wife to enter into his life. And there's Joseph, waiting in prison, hoping not to be overlooked. There's Moses out in the wilderness, waiting, waiting, eventually to be led back to Egypt, only to head back to the wilderness to invest the waiting experience in the lives of others in the wilderness. There's David who had to wait, wait after having already been anointed uh, by God to be king of Israel. Wait. We've got to bear in mind when we are pleading with God that delays are not denials. I have found in the waiting room of life that very typically there are at least three ways in which people cope with the waiting matters. Some try to escape it, and so they involve themselves in substance abuse. The escape hatch. Instead of escaping it, others attempt to endure it, the upper lip, the stoic attitude. But the third option, which I believe is the biblical option, is neither to escape it nor to endure it, but to enlist it. Where you now begin to ask the question, What is it that I can learn from this life experience and apply it then to the needs of those around me? William Willimon understands that. There are times when we're waiting on God to do something for us when God seems to take forever. And there are times when God is waiting on us to do something for God. When God seems to give forever. So writes William Willimon, professor, Undone by Easter, is the title of his book. But what we understand about this, when you are praying in the deep is that when you are called to be patient, that patience is not to be confused with passivity. What I find when I study the scriptures is that waiting is the rule, not the exception to the human experience. The rule, not the exception to the follower of Jesus Christ. And so one writes, Here I sit in the waiting room. The receptionist took my name, recorded my insurance data, gestured to a chair, please have a seat and we will call you when the doctor is ready. The waiting room. It's not the examination room, that's down the hall. Not the consultation room, that's on the other side of the wall. Not the treatment room, Exams, consultations, treatments all come later. No, the task at hand is the name of the room. It's the waiting room. We, in the waiting room, understand our assignment. It's to wait, not passively, but proactively. We don't treat each other. We don't ask the nurse for a stethoscope or blood pressure cuff. I don't pull a chair next to the woman with the, with the who's texting and say, tell me what prescriptions you're taking. No, that's the job of the nurse. My job is to wait, and so I do. Can't say I like it. Time moves at that point like an Alaskan glacier. The clock ticks every five minutes, not every second. Someone presses the pause button. It's life in slow-mo. maybe that's where some of us are at and so you're looking very carefully and you're saying "Yep, yeah, the plea to be made i've worked through that now the question to be posed i've righted myself on this ship that's got me sliding off to the side as the waves are are hitting uh the ship yes the the forgiveness is what i'm all about the weight The weight is to be enlisted, not to be escaped, not to be endured, but to be enlisted. And when you begin to grapple with that and grasp that, then you're ready for the fourth and the final stanza. We're in verse 7 now, in verse 8, these thoughts begin to leap off out of the pages, Oh, Israel. It's as if now the psalmist turns to everybody as they've made their way into Jerusalem and this up he journey, O oh Israel, hope in the Lord, uppercase. For with the Lord, uppercase, the relational covenantal name for our sovereign one, there is steadfast love, the Hebrew word hesed, used over 250 times in the Old Testament to describe God's relationship to his people. And then he adds this. Does it read, and with him is patience? Now there's something more here. And with him is redemption? Yes, but something more here. As I look into this, this man's eyes, I have him read it back to me. And with him is plentiful. Redemption. Oh, if he can outdo himself, God's done it. Except that he's infinite, eternal, and unchangeable, so how can he possibly outdo himself? And then he drives the point home. And he will redeem Israel from all, not some. All his iniquities. And there's where you find your hope. The redemption to be anticipated, verses seven and eight, is rooted in, in the steadfast love that God has for you and has for me. In Romans 8:23, we're waiting for the adoption the redemption of our body Ephesians four thirty. grieve not the Holy Spirit of God whereby you are sealed for the day of redemption and I close with this the lady B White was watching his wife Catherine planting um, bulbs in her garden in the last autumn of her life and he writes There was something touching about her bedraggled appearance, the small, hunched-over figure, her studied absorption, the implausible notion that there would be yet another spring, oblivious to the ending of her own days, which she knew perfectly well was near at hand, sitting there with her detailed chart under those dark skies in dying October, calmly plotting the resurrection. And when you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've tied together Yahweh with Adonai, uppercase and lowercase, and now the powerful imagery of this ship that gets righted. Lo and behold, what looks like helplessness turns into hopefulness. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love. And I would say to you now, if you find yourself overwhelmed today, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord, there is steadfast love. And we'll give God all the praise. Let's stand together. So Father, we're thanking you now for this powerful uh, psalm that you have offered. It's nautical. Yeah, but more so it's personal. Each stanza dripping with grace. So Father, if there's anyone watching online right now, if there's anyone in prior service, any in this service, who is saying what I need is ultimate forgiveness, May he or she now put faith and trust exclusively in Jesus Christ, the one who secured forgiveness on that cross. And for those that know you, those that love you, but feel so overwhelmed by life, calm the waves. Reach in. Take out the Peter who is sinking. Get him back in the boat. Take him back to the shoreline. Let him worship you. For this we give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.